y'all forgive me for, I'm a, I'm a little raw right now, I'm a little undone right now. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I got a little undone in that worship right there. I, I just like, I'm saying, Lord, are you sure you want me to talk tonight? Because uh, it seems like you're doing just fine without me. <laughs> How many of you know the Lord can do a whole lot more if we'll let him? If we'll let him, he can do a whole lot more in our lives. How many of you want the Lord to do a whole lot more in your life? You want more of you. You know, I, I feel like the Lord is doing something right now in, in this church, in this nation. I feel like there's a stirring going on right now in the spirit. There's, there's, a, there's an awakening that's starting to happen in the midst of all the darkness that we're, right, that we're encircled by. And it has to happen. It, 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 you know, in the, in the last days, the Bible says God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And it starts, I really think it starts with the, with the younger generation. It starts with people like you. And I, when I was sitting there worshiping God, the Lord took me. I'm 65 years old, so I'm an old guy. And so, you know, who's a, what's a 65-year-old guy got to say to you guys in your, in your 20s? And I, but the Lord took me back, and he said, you know, you're, you're only as young as you think, you know. I mean, only as old as you think. He said, you can think like a 30-year-old or a 25-year-old if you want to. And so I'm just going to try to think like you think tonight. Is that all right? Uh, it took me back. At 23 years of age is when I gave my heart to Jesus. At your age, your age, right where you are. I, I spent 23 years wasting my life, just wasting my life, not knowing. I mean, I, I would have never known that because, you know, when you're 23, you don't know anything. But most 23-year-olds don't know they don't know anything. And, and you don't know what you don't know, and so you just kind of cruise through life, and however life hits you, you just spend your life reacting to it. And life hit me at 23, uh, right after Easter in 1981. And I was here. I was in Atlanta. I grew up here, but I was living in New York. I had started a business up there, and I was living up there, and I was doing really good. At 23, I was making really good money and enjoying my life, and I was traveling, and I was creating, and I was building a business, and I was thinking, I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 30, and back then, millionaires actually were millionaires. Millionaires meant something back then. <laughs> now it's a billionaire. You've got to be a billionaire, and, and I was on my way to becoming one, and, and I came to Atlanta to see some friends. One of my friends was a stand-up comedian, and I went, came to see his show, uh, the place uh, that probably no longer exists in Atlanta. He and I went to college together, and we had a night of debauchery. How many of you have ever had a night of debauchery? Some of you don't even know what debauchery is, so that's a, that's a biblical word. But you've had it. I guarantee you, you probably had it. And uh, the, next, the next morning... I wake up in somebody's apartment that I don't even know. I don't even know who this per these people are, and I wake up, and I say to this group of people that are there in this apartment, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to church. I, I said this, I'm going to church because I have a friend who pastors a church over here in Stone Mountain, and he invited me to come to his church, and I said, I'm going to go to this church. And uh, they, they looked at me with this incredible, like, are you, are you serious? And I said, I don't know why, but I just feel like I need to go to church today. 
And I got up, went to church at this church, a little Baptist church over in Stone Mountain, real country church. I walk in, the service is already going, I'm a little late, and at the end of the service, the pastor recognized that I was there, and he said, Dennis, he said, I see my good friend, Dennis Rouse, he says, and I'm 20, 23 years old, he says, I want you to close us with prayer. How many of you know God's got a sense of humor? Come on, somebody. So I said something. I have no idea what I said, but I said something that probably didn't sound like a real prayer, but I said something, and I prayed, and then I got in my car afterwards, or my van, actually, and I was driving back to New York, and I had a visitation from God at 23 that I'll never forget for the rest of my life where literally I'm just cruising, playing music, just having a good time, and right somewhere around Charlotte, North Carolina, Jesus comes in my van. The presence of Jesus comes in my van, I should say. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. Now, I've been fighting against Jesus most of my life. As a young person, I'd gone to church. I knew about Jesus. I'd have many people tell me about Jesus, as I went through college, I fought with Jesus all the way through college to hold on to my carnality and my worldliness because I knew God was trying to get my attention, but I just wouldn't give it to him because I, wasn't, I didn't want to give it up. I didn't want to give up the world. I didn't want to give up the fun. I didn't want to give up the sex. I didn't want to give up the partying. I didn't want to give up any of that. And when he came into my van, it was a different experience I'd never had before because I'd been in church, but I'd never experienced the presence of God. Now, some of you have come here tonight, maybe for the first time, and it may have been a while, if ever, you've experienced the presence of God. There's a difference between just going to church and experiencing the presence of God. And when the presence of God falls... And sometimes he falls when you're not expecting it. Sometimes he just starts moving in your life when you're not expecting it. I certainly wasn't expecting it. I just, I couldn't do anything but surrender. I just surrendered. I just started weeping and crying, and I'm not a crier. I was just crying a minute ago, but I'm not a crier. I don't cry. I guess I do cry, but I don't, but I don't cry. And the only person that really makes me cry is Jesus. I, I've, listen, I've been pastoring for many, many years. I've seen a lot of sad, sad situations, some really hardcore situations, and I still didn't cry. But Jesus makes me cry. Does Jesus make you cry? Yes. He makes me cry. The women said yes. How about you guys? <laughs> Does Jesus make you cry? Ladies, if Jesus doesn't make the man cry, break up with him and move on. Do, do something else. If, he, if Jesus can't make a man cry, then you need to move on. That's the first question I'd ask if I was a lady. Does Jesus make you cry? <laughs> so, anyway, I'm, I'm weeping before God. I'm trying to figure out what is this, what's this about because the presence was so strong, so overwhelming, that I couldn't, I couldn't really keep it together. And so I started, you know, just surrendering. Jesus, come into my heart. I, I, I surrender to you. I'm going to stop all this stuff. I repent of this incredible, stupid life I've been living. 
How many of you know sometimes you just don't even know how stupid your life is? And, and I, I repent of this, and I just surrender to Jesus. And I, I, all I can explain to you is I was in Charlotte when this happened, and I don't remember driving after that. Have you ever been driving unconsciously? Some of you I know drive unconsciously. I've, I've ridden around cars that it's definitely the guy that's driving or gal's driving is unconscious. And I, I was unconscious. I have no idea how I made it to Richmond, Virginia. But I landed in Richmond, Virginia several hours later, and I'm driving into the city, and I come to myself. And I, the first thought in my mind is I've got to, I've got to go to see this friend of mine who, who had witnessed to me a few weeks ago while I, when I was in Richmond, Virginia, just for a few days, and then share Jesus with me. Now, check this out. This is, this is how God works. So this is just, how many of you know God, God? You cannot explain God. This guy comes up to me in the middle of the nowhere on the streets and starts talking to me, and he invites me to dinner. I don't, he's not talking to me about Jesus. He invites me to dinner. I'm there. It's just a, you know, I'm doing some work there. I go to dinner with him, and he says, come over to my house and stay at my house. No, what? no, no, no. No, no, that's not what it was. This guy was a Christian. But, but he says, come over to my house, he said, because back in those days, see, back, that, you're all filtering it through your mind today <laughs> and how dangerous that is today. But back in those days, people actually did stuff like that. People just met strangers and invited them to their houses. And, and he invited me to his house, and he's talking to me, and he starts telling me about Jesus. Now, this is before I got saved. And while he's talking to me about Jesus, now, this is exactly what happened. Now, this is going to frip. Are you all... Take your, this is going to freak you out a little bit. Are y'all ready? All right, this is a little supernatural. Y'all believe in the supernatural? All right, okay, I just want to make sure you believe in the supernatural. So he starts talking to me. He's over there sitting at a table. I'm, I'm kind of laying on a sofa, and he starts talking to me about Jesus. And for the first time, I'm hearing what he's saying. I can hear it. And he's talking to me through the scriptures. He's talking to me through, I'm asking him all kinds of questions. All kinds of questions. Well, Jesus, what about all these other religions? Blah, blah, blah. What about this happened to that person? Or that? What about bad things? And what about evil? What about poverty? What about, you know, I just started, what about dinosaurs? What about, what about everything? And I just asked him all kinds of, and he just kept giving me answers. Now, now, check this out. This is what I'm talking about, the supernatural. He kept giving me answers while he's dropping acid. Right there on the table, he's dropping acid. Y'all all right out there? And while he's doing this, I mean, I'm telling you right now, this was just freaky to me. And while he's dropping acid, he's telling me about Jesus. And I said to him, I said, I said, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm dropping acid. I said, are you a Christian? He says, yeah. He says, but... I'm not serving the Lord right now. I'm not serving the Lord right now. Because every time I try to serve the Lord, the devil comes after me. Hard. And so I, 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 I haven't talked to anybody about Jesus in a long time until you came along. And for whatever reason, I couldn't stop. I have to tell you about him. While he's talking, a light encircles his body. Supernatural light encircles his body. 
And I, I'd never seen anything like it. It broke me down. I just, you know, here I go again, crying again. And I didn't, I didn't give my life to Jesus. He starts talking to me about Jesus. I said, no, I'm not ready to give up this. I'm not ready to give up that. I'm not, I don't want to go. For me, if I'm going to give my life to Jesus, it's all or nothing. I'm all in or I'm not in at all. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, some of you, you're not all in. You're not all in. And there's a, there's a description of that in the Bible. It calls, it's called lukewarm. It's called lukewarm. You're neither cold nor hot. You're just enough to feel comfortable. And I hate to tell you this, but Jesus said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He said, that church is not going to make it. And so, anyway, fast forward. Now, I'm st- standing in front of this guy. I gave my life to Jesus. I said, I just gave my life to Jesus. I can't, and I tried to explain to him what happened. And he breaks into, now this is the guy who drops acid. He breaks into a prophecy, and he says to me at 23 years of age, you're going to pastor a great church. It's going to be multicultural. It's going to have some, th- some facets to it that are going to be different than any other church in America. And he says, and you're going to go through a lot of adversity to get there. And, all the, and he just goes on and on and on. And I, and I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Have you ever had somebody tell you something? You, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Every time I say no, that's exactly what I end up doing. And so anyway, he prophesies his church to me. All right, so now fast forward. Many years later, I've now met my wife. We get married. We start this church with six people, and it slowly grows about 100 people a year for about five years. So we're 500 people in the year number five. We're 650 people in year number six. And then something happened in year number seven that changed me and changed our church, changed this church. And what happened is this word called revival. Now, some of you have been hearing about revival lately. How many of you have been hearing about revival lately? It's, there's, it started in Asbury, Kentucky. It, it started with a group of people your age in college, and it kind of grew. They, they say it, it's now no longer happening in Asbury like it was because the, the school shut it down because of the... This is a little small town. They couldn't accommodate the thousands and thousands. They had 50,000 people over the few weeks that it went on, 50,000 people from all over the world flying in, driving in to come and see what God was doing. When God starts moving, people start flying and moving to see what God's doing. You notice how Jesus, he became popular without the internet. He didn't have social media. He didn't have Snapchat, TikTok, whatever you call, you know, all these different things you guys have. He had no advertisement except one thing, the presence of God. And wherever he went, God showed up. Miracles happened. So, 1997, we are, we're growing, but we're just a typical church. And God visits our church. And there's a visitation happening in a little town called Pensacola, Florida, where a revival had broken out. And this is the thing that staggers me about God. It seems like revivals always break out in places that you least expect them. Like maybe here. And you don't expect it, and it just happens. I I can't make revival happen. You can't make revival happen. 
But when God wants to do something, all he asks is, will you, will you move with me? Will you cooperate with me? So let me ask you a question. Would you, would you cooperate with God if he started moving here? Really? I don't know. Because he, when he wants to move, he will move. And so, so we go down to this little revival, and it's, it's starting to heat up. It's thousands of people. They, they estimated between three to four million people, three to four million people went to this revival over a 10-year period of time. Movie stars, playboy playmates, famous sports stars, people from all in government, people from corporate America were flying in to see what was going on at this little church, little Pentecostal Assembly of God church in Pensacola, Florida. When we got down there, they, you had to stand in line for an entire day and the night and the next day before you could get into the building. And there was no pastoral seating. <laughs> Senior pastors don't get in. They didn't care about us. And so you, we sat there and camped out at this place. Would you camp out for revival? We camped out. We were, we were camping out. And, and, and what was wonderful is more stuff was happening outside than was happening inside. I mean, people were getting healed. Demons were coming out of people. All kinds of crazy stuff was happening. So that night, they were having uh, their Friday night, which was their, their, their famous night, was Friday night, because of Friday night, they had baptisms, water baptisms. And you'd hear the most outrageous testimonies from people you've never, you, you just can't believe what God did in these people's lives. And they were, some of these people, they weren't planning on getting baptized. That just, it was just spontaneous. They just hit, God hit them so strong that they had to be baptized. The end of that night, it's now, the, the meeting started at 7, it's now midnight. Midnight, it was just heating up. Now this is, you understand, when the presence of God is there, you don't even think about time. Time is not, an, you're not thinking about where you got to be, what you got to do, what your things, what's on your schedule. When you're in the presence of God, your schedule just kind of goes out the window. Did y'all hear what I just said? All right. So we're there. We're at midnight, and we're just kind of in the middle of this, and God's moving, and I'm walking. Colleen's kind of one over one place, and I'm in another place, and I'm walking down one of the aisles. This is a church that had pews in it. Y'all know what pews are? And, you know, these long wooden pews, and I'm walking down the, the, the aisle towards the, towards the um, stage, and I turn around. God says, told me to just turn around. I turn around, and I see this usher about from here to where Vance is sitting over there. And he looks at me, and he stretches his hand towards me. He doesn't touch me. He just stretches his hand towards me. And as soon as he stretches his hand towards me, I go flying back 15 feet in the air. I don't know what happened. I just went, boom, back in the air, in the air. And I landed, and my head hit the pew like a, like a rock. Bow! And everybody, everybody there could hear it. And my wife saw it, and my, some of my guys that were there from the church saw it. And they thought, oh, my gosh, you know, Dennis has been, he's dead now. He's, he's no, he's not revived. He's, he's, he's gone the other way. And I, I'm laying there. Now, this is how God is. This is how supernatural God is. When God is moving, listen to me carefully, you don't need catchers. You don't. 
You know what catchers are? Have y'all ever been in those churches where the people line up and the person pushes people down or blows on them and the people catch them and they wiggle around? Y'all ever been there? Y'all been, know what I'm talking about? When God shows up, you don't need a catcher. You don't even need really to have somebody lay hands on you. I mean, God just, he'll knock you down sometimes. Sometimes, if you need it, and I needed it. I needed it because I, I had, I had, there was just, there's just something I needed. And so I'm down on the ground. I'm not unconscious. I'm fine. They come running up. Are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. I'm no, no problem. No, I, my head's not hurt. I'm fine. And I'm laying there. I said, there's only one problem. I can't get up. <laughs> now, I could move my arms. I could move my feet, my legs. But I could not get up. So I tried to get up. I couldn't get up. So I had my two, two of my guys. I said, could you help me? So they tried to help me up, and they couldn't get me up. They could not lift me up off the floor. So three or four other people got around me and tried to lift me up off the floor, and they couldn't get me up. Now, how many of you know three or four people can lift anybody up? And they couldn't lift me up. And so then they had this special usher. I'm pretty sure he rode in on a Harley Davidson. He was tatted up from all of his arms. He had a tank top, leather tank top. He had his hair back in a you know, ponytail. He had tattoos up here. I mean, he, he, was, he was a bad dude. And he came over, and he came over, and he says, I'll get you up, sir. And he gets up there, and he gets me up, and he starts prying me up, prying me up off the floor. And he gets under, he gets his shoulder under me, and he gets me about halfway up. And I'm like, yes. He says, we're going to get, and then all of a sudden, he goes back, and now he can't get up. <laughs> Some of you are like, what kind of church is this? <laughs> Believe me, if you come on Sunday morning, it's just not this kind it's, 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 a, it's a straight church. We preach the Bible. We believe in Jesus. We, we do that. But how many of you know, sometimes when God shows up, you just cannot. That's why they call it signs and wonders. God does a sign and makes you wonder, what is going on? So I laid there for about an hour. Now it's almost 1 o'clock, and they're closing the church. So they finally get me up. They put me in a wheelchair. And they wheeled me out of the church. I came in walking and went out in a wheelchair. Y'all all right? So wh wh why do I say that? Because at that moment, I realized God's about to do something in, this ch in our church. He's about to do something in victory. And I went home. I went home. And, and I started praying, and, and it wasn't shortly after that, I was here in the church. I wasn't in this building. We were at, if y'all have ever been down to our office buildings, that's where our church used to be. And we had a little sanctuary, not too much smaller than this, but about this, a little bit smaller than this. And we had a little stage, and back then you put carpet on stages, so it had a blue carpet. And you had steps so you could just come right up on the stage. We, we stopped that because crazy people tried to come up on the stage, and... <laughs> do stuff so we just put them over the side so we can catch the crazy people before they get up on the stage and so um but you have so anyway i'm a, I'm, I'm there one saturday <laughs> so i'm i'm there one saturday my my habit was to come to church and pray on saturday for sunday and i start praying and i'm there and it's now about eight o'clock at night and i'm laying there and God starts to speak to me about revival. Now, when I 
hear the word revival, when I say the word revival, what does that mean to you? Because the word revival is not for the world. The word revival is for the church. It's for people who already believe or have some level of belief in Jesus. And it's, it's when you believe in Jesus where you have a relationship with Jesus, but it's dead. It, it needs awakening. You, you've been serving the Lord, but it's not, it's not, you don't have this hunger and thirst for God like you used to. And it's an awakening inside your spirit that awakens you to the presence of God. And you realize that I don't want to go anywhere, do anything. Like Moses said, we do not want to go anywhere without your presence. You are carriers of God's presence. When you become a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ, you become a carrier of God's presence. And so I'm laying there, and the Lord begins to speak to me. And the first scripture that I remembered was James chapter 5, and I'm going to read it to you. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. This is James speaking to the church. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting for it patiently for it, for it until it receives the early and latter rain. Let's say that together. Early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And the Lord said there, there was a, a former rain or an early rain, and there's going to be a latter rain. The, the early rain is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the New Testament church. There's 120 people. They're gathered together in an upper room. They begin, they're coming after God with all their heart. They're praying. They're seeking God's face, not his hand. And they're turning to God, and God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, comes down on these 120 people, and they start speaking in other tongues, supernaturally. Languages of people that had gathered there in Jerusalem for Passover, but they're not languages they knew. They're speaking supernaturally. And the Spirit comes down. Peter, they ask, what is this, Peter? And Peter says, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and see visions and dream dreams, and it goes on to all these things that are going to happen in the last days. That's the former reign. That's the beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The New Testament church is birthed. 3,000 people come to the Lord in one mighty outpouring. 3,000 men, actually, it's probably five or 6,000 people. Come to the Lord, a mega church is born in the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem has never seen a mega church since that day. Never seen it since that day. The largest churches in Jerusalem might have 200 people. But then the Holy Spirit came down. And he says, then there's a latter rain. Everybody say latter rain. The latter rain starts to happen shortly before the return of Christ. As you draw near to the return of Christ... The outpouring of the Spirit begins to intensify because the intensity of the devil intensifies. It says gross darkness is going to cover the whole earth. And it's so dark that even people that used to believe will fall away. There's a great departure from the faith as the darkness gets darker. But there's in the middle of that a light. A light that's shining out of the people that believe fully in Jesus 
that fully embrace his will for their lives, that are not moved by what their friends are doing, what's popular, what's going on around America or the world. They're only moved by, I am here to live my life fully, completely consecrated before Jesus. All right, let me ask you a question. If you were to look at your life right now, could you honestly describe it as a fully consecrated life before Jesus? I think we go through seasons where our lives start to drift. And, and I think this is what was happening in our church. And so the Lord began to call our church to a place of revival. And it started with that scripture. And then he took me through the next scripture. And this is the revival scripture. How many of you have seen the movie Jesus Revolution? Let me see. Anybody seen the? Yeah, just a few of you. It's mostly white people in this movie, so it's, it was the hippie movement, you know. No, I'm just making a comment here because back in that day, a lot of the black folk didn't know about it. They weren't immersed in it. It was a white hippie movement that started in California. It spread to all races, but it started there. And the Jesus Revolution, by the way, you need to go see it. Because it was the last great sweeping revival that hit America that happened in the 1960s and the early 1970s. And it happened with people you would least expect that were hippies. They were like bohemian hippies that were just, they were, they were, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No authority. They were, they were calling police pigs. They were rebelling against all authority. Very much like what we're seeing today. And, and God moved in that generation, and we're all people your age, moved in that generation sovereignly, and they were literally baptizing thousands of young people every single week in the oceans of California. And it spread like wildfire through the campuses, the college campuses of America, and it, and it changed America. It really changed the direction of America. So... The reason I say that is because this scripture was what was the foundation of that revival in the Second Chronicles seven fourteen, where Solomon has just built the temple. He's just completed the temple. His father David started. He completed it. There, he's leading Jeru Israel back to God in the city of Jerusalem. He's trying to bring them back to God because they had fallen away from God. And in the process, he's building this temple because he's believing that this temple is going to be the inhabit the presence of God. They brought the Ark of the Covenant. They put it in the temple. It was a pretty big celebration. And in the process, he's, God's speaking to the people about turning away from the world. And Solomon is really ministering this to the people. And then after they've built the temple, God speaks this. And this is a sovereign word in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, can we put it up on the screen? Let's read it together. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. This is the catalyst for revival right here. In fact, Greg Laurie said, he was one of the pastors in the movie Jesus Revolution, he said, it started a movement called the 714 movement. People didn't know what 714 was, what's Second Chronicles 714. You need to circle that in your Bible, because that's, everything that's in that little verse of scripture 
is the is the what precedes revival. And unless that happens, you don't have revival. All right? So let's just go through that real quickly, just real quickly. Think about this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. So the first stage before revival ever hits is called brokenness. Everybody say brokenness. Now, I don't know about if you've ever been broken. I don't know. My family tried to break me. I, I grew up in a home that spanked kids. Did, did any of y'all grow up in a home that you got spanked? All right. I got, I, got, I got whooped. I got whooped bad. I was a really rebellious kid. There was no time out or sitting on a step or something like that, or you're not getting any candy tonight. It was stand over there, hold the bedpost until I get finished with you. And I got it pretty much every single day. All the way out, 18. Oh, yeah, there was no stopping at 12 or 13. I was just like, if, I, if you're rebelling, you're going to get it. Because I'm going to spank. I'm going to play the Bible. The Bible says, spank your kids. Drive the rebellion far from them. You got to drive it out. Sometimes you got to drive it out. And, and, and I know some of you, oh, that's abusive. That's, you're living in a different generation. My generation, there was nobody that didn't spank their kids. And so I got to spank it on a pretty regular basis, and I still wasn't broken. I wasn't broken. They spanked me till the cows come home, and I still held on. I'm going to do it my way. I'll take a spanking every day, but I'm going to do it my way. Brokenness. Everybody say brokenness. Brokenness is when you come to the end of yourself. When you finally come to the end of yourself, when they asked the people that went through the Jesus Revolution what sparked it, it said, you had all these young people that were trying to pursue truth, but they, were, they didn't trust any authority that was out there because of all the bad things that authority represented to them. And so they tried to find truth in drugs. They tried to find truth in sex. They tried to find truth in, in, in whatever else they could find it in, but not in God. And they came to this place, some of them came to this place where they realized no matter where I went, I couldn't find real truth. And it broke me. And this is what happens. When you get broken, you, you become open. So I'm going to read a scripture to you, and I'm going to have to go out of my notes to get this scripture because it was kind of a last-minute deal. But this is uh, Psalm 51, and I'm going to put it up on the screen for you because I want you to see it. This is David crying out. Now, how many of you know about David in the Bible? David's, David's probably one of the most interesting characters in the Bible because he did so many good things, but he also did a lot of really bad things. And two of the big bad things is he murdered somebody or had somebody murdered, and he committed adultery. And he, he committed adultery, and he got the woman pregnant, and then, he tried, and then he had her husband killed so he could marry her. Now, this is the man. Now, check this out. This is how you can't figure out God. This is the man that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. It's the only person in the Bible that says that about. So David is now... Come to this place of brokenness, and this is, his, this is a prayer of brokenness. This is a prayer of brokenness. And I want you to read this prayer with me because we're going to read it together. And if you can, read it with me. Let's say it together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. 
According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. When you are living in sin, it is always before you. You, you can't get away from it. It's always before you. All right, go to the next slide. Against, oh, come on. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. This is a sign of brokenness. A sign of brokenness is, is when you know you've done wrong, you're repenting before God, and you're going, whatever you do to me, God, is fair. Whatever you do to me is fair. I'm asking for mercy, but whatever you do is justified. Surely, let's, let's keep going. Surely I was sinful at birth. You didn't have to learn to sin, by the way. It's a natural thing. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me the wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop is a, a herb that is a cleansing or if you put it in tea or whatever, it cleanses you. And they used to take, when, when Jesus was on the cross, when they, tried to, when they tried to feed him the wine, they took a hyssop branch and, and dipped it in this gall and put it up to his lips. It's, hyssop is a very interesting, uh, I, I, when I was reading this recently, I said, I got to get me some of that hyssop. <laughs> and it's hard to find. I found it, though. I, got, I ordered three plant, hyssop plants and some hyssop tea. I can't wait till I drink that hyssop tea. <laughs> cleanses you. And he says, all right, let's read it. Cleanse me with hyssop. Let's read it together. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. All right. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now stop right there. <clears throat> now this, this, is, this scripture has been fascinating me lately because I know that the catalyst for revival it starts with brokenness. So I've been just kind of meditating in this, just meditating in this. And usually, most people, when they read that scripture, they end with that scripture, that verse, verse 12. But if you just go down a couple more verses, I want you to see what he says. Put it up there. I want you to see the next verse. You do not delight. Let's read it together. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you got will not despise. Yeah, you can applaud for the scriptures. I mean, that's, if you're going to applaud for anything, applaud for the scriptures, right? They're, they're powerful. And I want you to take that. I want you to meditate on that sometime. I've been meditating on it every day. I've been saving it in my Bible, just meditating on it. As I said, I, this is not a scripture you just quote one time. This is something you live in daily. When you have a broken spirit, and you want to stay in a place of a contrite heart, and you want to have a pure heart, then you constantly stay in this place of, okay, God, I, I'm nothing without you. Everything I've achieved is only because of you. God, 
my sins are always before me, and I just want to, I just want to get in this place of brokenness and receptivity, all right? Then he says, the second part of that prayer of Second Chronicles, and those who seek my face. Now, how many of you know there's a difference in prayer that seeks God's hand and one who seeks his face? Most of us pray, pray prayers that seek his hand. We're asking God to do stuff for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything evil in that. But he's saying the prayer that, that really brings revival is a prayer that seeks his face, not his hand. That really just wants to have an intimate, dynamic with God on a regular basis, not because of what he can do for me, but because of my relationship with him. So I begin to do this. I, back in, in 97, I started praying and I said, God, I want to seek your face. I want to seek your face. <laughs> and in the process of seeking his face, one night I was on the stage and I was praying. And God said to me, what do you want? What do you want for this church? And I said, God, I want revival. I want to see you break out of this church. I want to see God move. I want to see you move in this church. And, and I want to see people get saved. I, I don't want to just see them answer an altar call. I want to see them get saved. I want to see them have a tangible relationship with you that lasts for the rest of their life, not just one that's a momentary, excited moment where they had an emotion with God, and then three days later, they're no longer serving you. And so the Lord said, are you willing to pray for that? I said, yes. And I said, I, I, just, want to, I just want to get closer to you. So the Lord said, all right. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to humble yourself, be broken right now. I want you to seek my face. And then he said, I want you. Now, this again, are y'all ready? Yeah. Uh, just please forgive me if this is a little wacko. I'm a wacko preacher in the fusion group, not with the main service. I don't tell everybody in the main service this. I'm just telling you this. So I'm, I'm, I'm laying there, and the Lord says, I want you to roll. And wherever you roll, I'm going to move in the church. So I start rolling. I'm rolling all over the stage. <laughs> I'm a holy roller. I'm just rolling. And I'm praying. I'm just praying and rolling, praying and rolling. And then I roll down the steps. And he says, and by the way, the caveat, you can't ever get on your feet. You can't walk. You have to stay alone. You have to stay on the ground. So I roll down the steps. I roll across the altar. I'm rolling. Boom. There's nobody in the church. Nobody can see me. So nobody knows what's going on. I'm by myself on a Saturday night. And I'm rolling. And then, and then I start rolling down the aisles. And I rolled down this aisle, and I rolled down that aisle, and I rolled the entire sanctuary. And I'm now, it's about 15, 20 minutes later, and I hear the Lord say, is that all you want? You just want me to move in the sanctuary? What about the children's church? What about the youth church? What about other places? So I get to rolling, baby. I roll in the youth sanctuary, I roll in the children's sanctuary, I roll in every nursery room, I roll up and down the hallways, I get out into the lobby, now, the church is not a big church at this point, I get out in the lobby, of the store, and, and, and the Lord says, one place you haven't rolled yet, and I, are you kidding me, the bathrooms? He said, there's a lot of people that go in those bathrooms. I rolled in the bathroom. And I rolled out, this took me an, about an hour. I got blue carpet all over me. I'm sweating. It's now about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. I'm thanking God that nobody was there. 
And the Lord said to me, now, now ask me for whatever you want. And I said, Lord, I want revival. I want to see our church awaken to God. I want to see our church be broken. I want to see them seeking God's face. And I want to see them really turn from their wicked ways. Now, some of us in this room right now, listen to me. I want this to set down on you. You've got some wicked ways. Nobody knows about it. You can live in this world now in secret. You can do stuff nobody knows about. He said, you got to turn from your wicked side. I want, I want there to be a deep repentance to fall on the church. That's what I asked the Lord for. Now, repentance is not, I'm sorry, God. And then you go right back out and do it again. Repentance is a turning from wickedness or sin or whatever's in your life, whether it's pornography, sex outside of marriage, same-sex attraction, whatever you want to call it, whatever the Bible calls sin is sin. Now, let me just say, I'm not apologizing for what the Bible says. Sin is sin. But God still loves you, even though you might be a sinner. He doesn't stop loving you because you sinned. But what happens is you separate yourself from God. He doesn't come and leave you just because you sin. You separate yourself from him. So repentance is necessary for a true revival to happen. Repentance is where you go down deep internally and you deeply allow yourself to mourn for the sins of your life. I like what, uh, again, this is, this is James saying this in James <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. By the way, James is talking to the church. Purify your hearts. By the way, judgment starts in the house of God. You double-minded. Do you know what double-minded is? Double-minded is, I go to church I'm an usher, I'm a greeter, I'm a song, I'm a singer, I'm a work in the bookstore, I work in the nursery, I love God, I tithe, I give money, but I'm not ready to fully give up this. I'm not ready to fully give up this, whatever that this is. And you're back and forth, double-minded. And a double-minded, the Bible says a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. So then he says, and this is the key, lament and mourn and weep. Pastor Johnson preached a message about three weeks ago on blessed are those who mourn. Were you all there? Did some of you hear this? If you did not hear that message, you need to go back online and watch that message. One of the best messages ever been preached in the history of our church. And it was, it was a, when I saw the subject, I think, how are you going to make mourn? People even listen to that message. Who wants to mourn? Most people want to be happy and joyful and feel great. You, you can't really feel the joy of the Lord until you've learned how to mourn. And what a lot happens is when you don't mourn over your sins, when you don't mourn over those things, they still hold on to you. If you don't allow yourself to go deep with God and let him, let him deal with you through mourning and weeping. And, and sometimes in the, in the Bible, they would spend 
days mourning. It wouldn't just be like an hour. It would be days. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. And then I said, Lord, I want to see people broken and repent. Then I want to see a move, God, of holiness in our church. Holiness. Everybody say holiness. How many of you know that's an antiquated word today? You rarely hear people in your age bracket ever talk about holiness. Because the first picture you have of holiness is somebody with a Kroger sack dress on, a big old thing on their head or something like that, and, and no makeup or whatever, and they think that's holiness. No, holiness is not on the outside. Holiness is on the inside. It's what happens on the inside. And when holiness happens on the inside, it does affect your outside. But, but it affects it in a way that people can see, you know God. You're close to God. You're living pure before God. And there's something about people that are living holy that God puts his hand on them and creates amazing things in their life. And so here's what it says, and I'll read this last scripture. He says, this is Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So I started praying this prayer, God would you just move in our church in this way? And this is 1997. <clears throat> and the next morning, I came to preach that Sunday morning. I started preaching, just didn't have any notes. I just started preaching. And as I started preaching, God started moving on our, on our church. We had about, I don't know, six or 700 people in there. And some of them were sitting out in the lobby because they couldn't fit in the sanctuary. And when I gave an altar call, Maybe 250 people answered that altar call, about a third of the crowd. And what happened from there is this move of the Spirit, and it got on our young people. And our youth started in revival. They got in revival. They were meeting four nights a week for six months. Their parents, the house... When you're you, well, I can't get to church. My parents will take. Let me tell you, when revival's going on, their parents were were driving them there as fast as they could get them there because they wanted their kids to experience God. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids got saved, moving. And we 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 didn't have a building large enough to accommodate them, so we had to rent a warehouse next door over there with no air conditioning, no heat in the middle of the summer. And they still came. It was 105 degrees in that place concrete floors, black plastic hanging everywhere, and people just going after God. I've seen God move into church like this, and I want to see it again. Now, it can start with our youth, or it could start in here. It could start anywhere, but if you're willing to go down that road, God can do anything. God can do anything. So, I say all that to say this, whether we experience the fullness of revival, I don't know about you, I just want more of God. How many of you want more of God? Want more of God. <clears throat> One of the things that touched me recently was Pastor Summer was doing a women's conference or women's meeting the other, the other few weeks ago, and we had 215 women spontaneously baptized that night. It was, it was a spontaneous baptism. I've, we've never had that, in ever, ever in the history of our church had that kind of thing happen. 
And I, and I was just, I mean, she, she came to me before she preached. She was trembling. She was, you know, in fear and trembling about this message because she didn't, she knew that it, and it may not go over well. You know, since I've been standing here preaching to you, I've seen at least 20 people get up and walk out. And that's, that's okay. That's okay. Listen, that's all right. You're still here. You're still here. That means there's somebody in this room that's hungry for God. I count it a success if people get up and walk out. If you're not preaching the word, if you're preaching the word, people don't like, always like the word. How many of you know that? And so, you know, but when the word is coming out and when you're starting to feel the presence of God, it does something to us. Now, I want you to take a moment. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to take a Selah with God for just a moment. And I want you to think about what you've just heard. I just gave you a little, just a little taste of what it looks like. And I want you to think about your life right now before God. And ask yourself, <clears throat> if revival broke out, am I ready for it? Am I open to it? Am I open to whatever God wants to do in my life? Have I allowed God to break me? Have I allowed God to get this wickedness out of my life through repentance? Have I allowed God to move in my heart so that I can start to experience God in a whole different dimension? Because here's what I love about God. What happens is when you start to submit yourself like that to God, it moves from this mourning place to this joyful place. To where suddenly you start to feel free for the very first time where God sovereignly moves in your life and he starts to, starts to deliver you from stuff, stuff that's been holding on to you for a long time. And when, when you're sitting there and you're listening to this, you're asking yourself this question, how long am I going to let this hold on to me? How long am I going to let this sin be a part of my life? How long, how long am I going to let this half-heartedness or coldness in my heart exist? Here's what I know about God. He can break through all of that. He can break through all of that if you'll just let him. Just open your heart to him. So I want everybody to do this for me. Just, I want you to stand up for just a moment. Just stand up. Let's posture ourselves before the Lord. We're going to do something a little different tonight. We're not done yet. I'm done, but we're not done. God's not done. feel like the Lord wants to do something in us, but it starts, it starts with this place of brokenness. So if you're saying tonight, Lord, I want to be broken before you. I want to be, I want to be broken. I, I don't want to live a life with any more stuff holding on to my life. I don't want any more sin in my life. I don't want any more half-heartedness, lukewarmness in my life. If that's you in this big crowd of people. I want you to get out of where, right in front of everybody. I want you to get out of your place. And I want you to just come down here to this altar and just kneel before the Lord. Just kneel before the Lord, if that's you. <clears throat> Jesus, you, you see everybody that's coming. <laughs> just keep talking to them right now, Lord. I feel like there's some people here, part of what holds you back 
It's a fear of rejection. Listen, God will never reject you. He'll never turn his back on you. He loves you. Tonight, God's going to do something in you. He wants to do a work inside of you. Once the altar's filled, if you just, wherever you are in the aisles, you can just get down. And if you want to, wherever you are, you can just get down. Get low. Jesus. Right now, we just come. Just let you do a work inside of us. Sovereign work. And just let the presence of God settle down on you for just a moment. Let's give him some time to move in our hearts. The beautiful thing about Jesus is no matter how bad we've done things, he'll never, ever stop forgiving you and loving you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's say this with our mouth. Jesus, I come to you with a humble and broken spirit and contrite heart. And I repent for anything in my heart, my life, that defiles your kingdom that defiles my life and I ask you to forgive me and start this work in me of holiness I believe in you Jesus not just as a savior but you're the Lord and I'm asking you to just set up your throne on my heart For the rest of my life, I'm yours. No looking back anymore. All the way, all in, I'm yours. In Jesus' name.